0: bum bum ba bum 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 bam ba bam bum bum bam ba bam bum bum bam ba bam bum bam bum ba bum 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 ba bum 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 ba bum 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 ba bum 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 A pattern, a pattern, a pattern, You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson.
1: I'm Brad Gullickson. And
0: each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we're merging worlds, chatting with comic book writer Evan Narcisi about his milestone 30th anniversary story, Universal Beings, and suffering through Brad's humble brag review of his (laughs) WonderCon experience without me.
1: Uh, Yes, Lisa, WonderCon was extremely fun. But not as fun as it would have been if you could have joined me. So you were greatly missed <laughs> by me and also every disappointed comic book couples counseling listener who found me and said, Where's Lisa?
0: Aw, that's very sweet of you to say. I do like disappointing people. If I don't get to be there, I do want people to be disappointed that I'm not there.
1: It was kind of a last minute thing. We were approved by WonderCon for press applications. And once that happened, you're like, okay, well, how can we do this? How can we do this? Well- Our buddies Lance from Comic Book Keepers and Jeremy from Geekly Grind and their friend Preston had a room at the Marriott and they offered me a floor. Mm -hmm. So for three nights, I slept on a very hard floor. Now, Jeremy actually brought an inflatable mattress for me to sleep on. Oh, really? And I busted it. Oh,
0: no! First night,
1: (laughs) put a hole right in it. So I slept on top of it the entire weekend but it was on a rock hard floor, super flat.
0: Unfortunately, he did not know that Brad, when traveling, (laughs) likes to sleep with ninja stars in his pockets.
1: And the other thing that I did as well, since Lisa is not traveling with me, I am going to find the cheapest tickets possible, Mm -hmm. which means I had to fly through Spirit Air. I'm so sorry. And that means I had to go to Baltimore. So we drove to Baltimore. I got my dad to drive me to Baltimore, (laughs) which is about an hour and 40 minutes from where we live. And then I took a flight to Dallas and then I took uh, a flight to LA. And just dropping off the bags in Baltimore took over an hour and then through security took over an hour. I barely got onto that flight, which means like, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm super stressed, but I'm like, hey, I made it. Not a problem. But then that flight was delayed oh, and no. we sat on the tarmac. And then I barely made my connection in Dallas. So it was like that whole trip was just, Running, running, sweating, sweating, sweating
0: sounds thrilling.
1: It was not, it was super <laughs> stressful. Also, spirit air seats are the worst for people over six feet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I got there, yay, and, and I spent very little money on it, and so that was exciting. And it was just like a blast to hang out with Jeremy Lance and Preston, they're such good people, uh, you know. Like, anytime you know, I knew they were good people, but anytime you're like, okay. Well, now we're all going to share a toilet together. Mm, yeah. You get a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we, we all figured out how our bodies work and when they worked. <laughs> yeah. And no issues arose there. Plus, the Marriott had a really nice uh, lobby toilet that yeah. I took advantage of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but WonderCon as a whole, my first time going, you hear from our friends like Eric uh, that... It is like the convention goers' convention.
0: That's right.
1: It is San Diego Comic Con dialed down a notch, and because it's dialed down just a little bit, you get more access with creators, more time to flip through the singles, less competition to get the singles that you want, and uh, it's less crowded. Right? It's not. You're not like shoulder to shoulder. It's not not crowded, mm. but it's much more relaxed. I would certainly want to go again, but I don't think I would go again without
0: you. Oh, that's very sweet. Like, uh, this is a very busy time for work with me, so I just could not get another weekend away after literally just doing ECCC. Yeah, it
1: felt a little greedy to go, but Uh uh, I'm a greedy person.
0: Ah, and why not take the opportunity? This has been our year of conventions. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that first Friday, honestly, after that, I was like, well, this made the whole trip worth it. You can actually go over to the Geekly Grind website, a link in the show notes. Lance, Jeremy, and I recorded a short review of day one that Friday because it was just so incredible. So I would recommend checking that out. We've also just been drinking a little bit, so it's got a little bit of a sweatpants mode vibe. Uh (laughs) Um, But that Friday... Lance and Jeremy wanted to go to Daniel Warren Johnson's table first thing, and they wanted to purchase a commission.
0: Oh, nice. Now,
1: we've thought about that before, you and I. But at San Diego, at New York Comic Con, getting one of those tickets to get a Daniel Warren Johnson commission is impossible. You have to get up so early. You have to be one of the first handful of people to be at his table. So when Jeremy and Lance were like, yeah, we're going to go and get a commission, I was like, I'll, I'll tag along and I'll say hi to Dan and you know, I'll, I'll see if you guys get it. But you know, it's not for me. I'm not, I'm not even going to get my hopes up, but then (laughs) we get there in line. We wake up late. We have breakfast. We get there in line around like nine o'clock or so. Mm-hmm. The show opens at 1030 and we go right to Dan's table and he's giving out 10 tickets at the Felix booth. Wow. And I was ticket six. Nice. <laughs> I was like, well, if I'm going to be ticket six, I guess I'm purchasing a commission.
0: Yeah. It, like at San Diego Comic-Con we get in line at like 4:30 in right, the morning. Right. So this is like a huge difference.
1: Big time. And I got on the phone with you that morning and I said, "Okay, I got this ticket, Lisa. One, should we spend the money? It's not it wasn't crazy expensive. It was $150 for a commission." Yeah. Um and 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 if so, what do we get?
0: Right. And so I was thinking it would be really special to kind of memorialize our first ever conversation with Daniel Warren Johnson, which was for the Beta Ray Bill run that he yeah. did, Ardent Star, Argent Star, I always say it wrong. I always say Ardent <laughs> Star, like the star is like, yeah! But it's Argent Star, as in silver. <laughs> right, right. So um, I suggested doing a depowered Corbinite version Of Beta Ray Bill because we're all about finding like your inner peace, looking for who you truly are. And
1: spoilers for the very last panel of his Beta Ray Bill run, but it's him super powered, you know, in his superhero body, looking in a a mirror, and the reflection is that depowered one. And Mm -hmm. you're left with like this, you know, bittersweet feeling. Yeah,
0: yeah. And we wanted to capture that. Yeah.
1: And I thought that was such a great idea. So when I went to Dan, I said, Uh, Well, this is what I'd like. And he's like, okay, yeah, all right, okay, yeah. And then, you know, in 10 minutes, he knocked out that sketch, and we actually got two bills for the price of one because he made, like, the depowered bill, a tiny figure walking the lonely path. And then above him, like, as as this giant shadow, is the super-powered Beta Ray bill we all recognize. Yeah. I said, oh, that's kind of like an Incredible Hulk homage and he goes, is it? (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah, it's an Incredible Hulk homage. But it was also fun watching what other people were getting, you know, uh, Astro Boy, uh, Lance asked for Optimus Prime, Jeremy got, um, oh, it's a Mega Man character, Zero? <laughs>
0: Optimus Prime would be pretty cool.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, Danny Warren Johnson, if you've been watching his YouTube show, he's been doing a lot he of Optimus Prime.
0: He slays Transformers. Yeah,
1: they look so good. They look so good. Uh, and, and Lance's uh, Optimus Prime looks incredible. Uh, so it was fun to talk to everybody and make new friends amongst the folks. Our patron Jesse showed yeah, up. Yeah,
0: Jesse Tapia.
1: He got a commission as well. It, 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 and it's just like it's just such a fun table to be at. If Dan is ever in your town, make sure you hit up his table uh, highly worth one hundred and fifty dollars if you can scrounge that uh, cash together and get in line in time to get it. would super recommend it. Uh, but like the other crazy thing that happened that day is I got a message from Dan, and he was saying that uh, his original moderator fell through mm. for his spotlight panel that evening. And would I be interested in moderating it?
0: What, I know all of this, but I, this is, I'm, I'm recreating my initial reaction for you. I was like, what, you gotta do it! Uh, Email him back immediately! I,
1: and I did, and I did, and, uh... It was, it was a dream come true to moderate a Dana Warren Johnson panel at WonderCon. Yeah. And, you know, we met up briefly before the panel and we discussed what he wanted to do. He had created a slideshow for the presentation, but he couldn't get the iPad to connect with the WonderCon oh, system. Oh, no. Technology. So he brought the, the iPad to the table and he faced it out to the crowd. He's like, okay, break out your binoculars. And you can- <laughs> no. You
0: could look <laughs> you at this. He didn't tell me that part. I didn't.
1: <laughs> so we would flip through that occasionally. But the theme of his spotlight was really to focus on his early work: mm. Space Mullet, Alabaster, the Ghost Fleet, and we talked about like the comic where he realized he was good at what he does. Because when he talks about those early books, he often talks about them in this sort of like, "Well, ooh, I hate this. Yeah. I don't like Self-deprecating. that." Self-deprecating, right? But in discussing what was the comic that sort of flipped the switch in his brain, like, no, this is the way to go, was doing the mini comic, of Green Leader, the Star Wars fan comic that takes that moment from Return of the Jedi where the A-Wing does a kamikaze run on the Super Star Destroyer, crashes into the bridge, which causes the Super Star Destroyer to crash into the Death Star 2. And he said he had so much fun creating that comic completely because he writes it and he illustrates it. It's a total Daniel Warren Johnson joint that that was the moment where he's like, you know what? I don't need a collaborator. And it was Green Leader that gave him the confidence to create his own comics. Wow. And I had not really heard him talk about that before. And so it was nice to get that on the record. And he is going to show that panel at his YouTube channel. So you will be able to watch it at some point.
0: Co-starring Brad Gulickson.
1: Co-starring Brad Gullickson, who was very nervous, but I've been assured by those in attendance that I did a good job.
0: I'm sure you did.
1: And there was one gentleman who came up to me afterwards and he said, you know what? I come to a lot of these things, they're usually awkward and boring, and you made this one uh, extremely exciting and engaging. And I just want to thank you for it. And I that's was like, so nice. who thanks a moderator? Somebody
0: who understands the power of love languages. We thank moderators big time. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of awkward selfies with a bunch of moderators because it's a hard job. It is a hard
1: job. It's a stressful job. I told Dan that I was just there to be his hype man. And he was like, that's all I want. And that's what yeah. I did. And we had a good time. And he oh, seemed... I'm so
0: mad I missed out on yeah. that.
1: I mean... Don't think that I wasn't feeling a little bit guilty through the entire experience that you weren't there because you really would have slayed at this because you know we did that unnecessary debates panel uh-huh. uh, at Emerald City Comic Con and that wasn't really in our wheelhouse. No, but moderating I'm a spotlight panel,
0: yeah,
1: that's. That's what you do.
0: That's what we've been practicing at home. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I've been reading Permission to Feel. Yes. So for our Invincible Couples counseling sessions. Yes. And one of the chapters talks about differentiating emotions. So we think of jealousy and envy mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. Um, interchangeable, but truly they are not. Because jealousy is relationship-based and envy is just... Wanting uh-huh. and what I'm feeling is jealousy.
1: Okay, okay, I'll, I'll accept <laughs> but your But it's jealousy. okay because
0: I'm also so happy for you. I think I mean, you know, you do these interviews every day from our apartment, and but doing it in front of people is like the a whole nother set of skills on top of that. Do you know and what
1: the stupid highlight of that moment was? Yeah. So I arrived to the panel and I uh, approach the table and the microphones and I, and a WonderCon employee comes over and he was like, "Hey Dan, how you doing? Uh, what do you want?" I was like, whoa, whoa, no, no, I'm not Dan. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just Brad, the moderator." He's like, "Oh, okay. Um, oh, oh, I didn't know you were gonna be here." I was like, "Yeah, I didn't know I was gonna be here either." And he says, "Well, do you want a name tag, a placard?" And I was like, "Well." Yeah, but can, I mean, the panel's going to start in like two minutes. He's like, no, I can do it. What, how do you spell your name? And I was like, oh, it's uh, B-R-A-D-G-U-L-L-I-C-K-S-O-N. He's like, yeah, OK, I'll print it up right now. And then in the back, he prints out the placard. Uh-huh. And then he hands it to me and I put it on the desk. And there's WonderCon, Brad Gullickson, Moderator, Holy shit.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yes, and he did bring that home, and we will display it proudly in our home. That's so cool. Yeah,
1: so now how do we get a San Diego Comic-Con one of those, Lisa? We're working on it.
0: We're working on it. We're We're working working on on it. it. It.
1: But beyond that, the show was a lot of fun. So much great cosplay. It was an interesting mix of what kinds of comics they were selling. Uh, A a mix of like like Emerald City Comic-Con. We go to Emerald City Comic-Con, and it's like, dollar comics for days. Yes, and we were like, we're going to
0: find all of the amalgams.
1: Yes, and then you go to like San Diego Comic-Con and the prices are like a little bit higher, right? And so it was a mashup of those two things. Mm -hmm. There were dollar comics, they started off as three dollar comics, and then two dollar comics, and then dollar comics. Okay. But then you had people who were selling like amalgam comics for like fifty bucks. And you're like, right. well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but then on the third day, they were up to haggling. So I did a little bit of that.
0: Oh, uncomfortable. I'm
1: I'm not great at haggling, but it I feels attempted vulnerable. it. I got a few dollars off a few things.
0: Nice.
1: Um, of course, we saw Stan Sakai there. Yay! I got his variant, the black and white retro edition of the Where When issue. Uh-huh. That review is up on our website already. I loved it. Yes. More black and white Usagi Yojimbo comics, please. Oh, I saw Tom King and Mitch Jarrods and met Doc Shainer for the first time. fun. It was, yeah. So, you know, it's a con. It's my, like, happy place. Yeah. But, again, it couldn't be a pure happy place without you. That's
0: very sweet. And
1: I'm so excited for San Diego Comic Con that we can do this thing again together. Yay! uh, Because that's the best way to tackle all these shows.
0: And a ton of people stopped you and recognized you. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, it seems like that's getting more and more prevalent with every con. We got a lot of recognition at Emerald City Comic Con, New York Comic Con. We got even more at WonderCon I was I shocked.
0: Cuz that also fills my love tank yeah. because if you recognize Brad Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: uh It sounds like that should be a, like a saying. Like if you recognize Brad, life can't be so bad.
1: <laughs> Sean Gorman found me on the last day and he was like, "I you know, I've seen you around the show all weekend, but I didn't see Lisa with you." So I said, "Surely that cannot be Brad but then I got a real good close look at you and I was like I think that's Brad without Lisa I hope they're okay
0: Oh, yeah I I also recognize people partially contextually so I can relate to that
1: Uh, yeah so uh, an absolute blast but not as big a blast as it could have been with you
0: how Uh, you doing with the jet lag because we went to Seattle and then we came back and then you you went right back to well, Anna I
1: also took because I was getting cheap flights. I took a red eye home. That's from something
0: that Lisa would never L.A. do.
1: I mean, right. We
0: did. We did. Um, we did red eyes for once,
1: Sundance once.
0: Sundance once, and I was like, never yeah. again. So
1: I, I got a flight home. Uh, took off at L. A. Around ten. Actually, it was delayed till eleven thirty. Mm-hmm. I didn't arrive in Baltimore until seven, and then I had to drive from Baltimore to Virginia. It was rough and Yeah, it was not good. I'm still a little groggy. I got up before nine o'clock today.
0: Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So like when Brad was planning this trip, Brad was like, hey, Lisa's not coming with me. Lisa's delicate. (laughs) So she needs to be treated Uh with kid gloves. Uh But now I can finally do this on the cheap and fly out of Baltimore and ride on Spirit Air and room with a whole Uh bunch of people. Like, so how do you feel now that you've gotten to live the bro cheap life?
1: Uh, I think that Lisa's Smart.
0: Yeah, yeah, she is.
1: <laughs> and uh there's reasons why you don't Fly, spirit, air. <laughs> there's reasons why you don't sleep on the floor. There's reasons why you don't take red eyes. Uh, and there's, they're all good reasons. <laughs> there's
0: something to be said. Don't use this to murder us. But we live like nine minutes away from Dallas airport. <laughs> and so like the idea of landing after a red eye and still having to drive like an hour and 20 minutes home. Like, yeah, no, thank no, you.
1: No, no, no. So, yes, you're the smart one. Uh, I don't think I'll ever do any of those things ever again. I, I might room with like Lance and Jeremy. Yeah, and you Preston came back again. with
0: with great stories. But
1: you know, they're such good people and we ate well, nice. Uh, so that was that was pretty great. My favorite stuff that I got though was out of a truck. You know yeah. those L.A. food trucks. Oh my goodness!
0: And that I'm, is another thing Lisa won't do.
1: And I also went to Pink's Hot Dog. You're not a hot dog yeah, person, no so I finally got to go to Pink's Hot Dog, which has been I- an institution in L.A. since 1939. It's right across the street from Golden Apple Comics. So I bought some comics. I ordered a chili dog. I got chili all over my single <laughs> issues. It was the best.
0: Yay! And was it Everything you hoped and dreams for? You
1: know what it's a hot dog. Yeah, right? you know what?
0: <laughs> Sometimes I like to challenge Brad. I'm like, are hot dogs actually delicious or are they just nostalgic? <laughs> I
1: got the Brando which was basically a, just a chili dog uh-huh. and um, you know, I you know, I, I don't want to like I don't want to offend anybody, but I feel like I could have made that at home. Oh. Of course you,
0: know?
1: you could. <laughs> you gotta get those nine-inch hot dogs, though, those big, long hot that
0: dogs. That is what she said.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, had a great time in LA happy at WonderCon.
0: I'm uh, Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, Like, I'm so glad that you had a good time, and I'm so glad you came back with stories. I
1: also want to shout out Hank Canals, mm. who messaged us on Twitter and said, make sure to head over to Burbank, to the AMC Theater, and check out the giant Batman bronze statue that Jim Lee designed. That's right. So I did that. And that statue is epic. Mm. I know they just did a Jenny Frizen statue over by the Warner Brothers tour. W- wasn't able to do that this trip. But maybe when we go to San Diego, we can do another Warner Brothers tour. I love and that. Go take a photo of that. Maybe see statue. some
0: stuff that is not Gilmore Girls related. I, d-
1: I doubt you'll allow that. I'll <laughs> doubt you'll allow that. I you won't. know, the weird thing about the, the WonderCon was that. All the volunteers, not all the volunteers, but a good majority of the volunteers were cosplaying as Imperials. Ooh. And I did a reel that you can watch on our Instagram account, CBCC Podcast, where I combined, like, all the stormtroopers and Imperial officers who were directing the line. And some were not in character, but some were in character. So you're being, like, you know, escorted into these, like, cattle lines. Mm-hmm. By stormtroopers. Oh, yeah. Shouting at you like, this way, this way, this way. And you're like, well, this is.
0: This doesn't feel good.
1: This doesn't feel good.
0: It just makes you want to like sweep their leg. Like, ha ha, I'm a rebel.
1: (laughs) it, It was, it was a little like. Huh.
0: It's a little preview for the fascist nation we are going to turn into. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, but but also, I love that the volunteers were in cosplay. How fun. Uh, but maybe some rebels next time. I don't Why
0: know. Why not? There's not enough rebel cosplay.
1: <laughs> there, there really isn't. So many stormtroopers. Uh, but yeah, so uh, there you go. Obviously, I had a good time. That's our big WonderCon deep dive. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have been following along on our Twitter, Instagram. And Facebook pages looking at all those photographs yeah. because I took a lot of them.
0: Yeah, and not everything is on our Twitter feed.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, so jump if you want around. those
0: extra, extra goodies, you gotta to go to our Insta.
1: But we've got a really cool conversation for you this week we as do. well. Chatting with Evan Narcisi about his short story Universal Beings, which appears in the milestone 30th anniversary special that just came out this week. 30 years of Milestone comics. How awesome. It's like, it's one, it's crazy to think that I, like, I remember when Milestone launched. Um, I was never, like, into Milestone when they first came out. It took me a little while to get to them. Uh, but now, reading them, like, going back and looking at those comics from 1993, wow, it's impressive. You know, what Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cohen, and the gang did with those books. They're so activated Mm. they have so much to say and they are saying it at a loud volume using our favorite superhero genre and the compendiums are out now from dc comics they're well worth their price tag i love what dc is doing with the milestone universe today uh, expanding it and celebrating it but nothing beats those original books And what I like so much about Evan's short story is that it collides the two versions.
0: It is in conversation with those original books.
1: Yeah, and I think Evan, as an obvious big-time fan of those characters, was the perfect person to smash these two milestone universes together and, you know, still maintain that outrage and that uh, that political charge that yeah. the originals had.
0: This was actually my introduction to Milestone Comics and what a weird place to start where yeah. it's just like, oh, I have to be introduced to so many characters. So many And not characters. only their like original versions, but also their parallel universe present yeah. versions. Yeah, um, it's a
1: lot to throw at Lisa. It
0: was pretty baffling, but, and it had me on the backs of my heels a little bit on this interview, which I hope you can slash cannot hear. I want you guys <laughs> to know me. <laughs> you're, I'm a little defensive.
1: You're so good in the conversation oh, though, thank Lisa. You. Trust
0: um, me. But, I do, but what I did deeply understand is this impulse to be able to compare the activism of the past to the activism of the present because we have made so much progress in terms of what we consider human rights and the you know the gender spectrum and the sexual spectrum The conversation has continued, but there are so many ways that we have not changed.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the depressing thing about reading a contemporary milestone book, because a lot of the issues uh, that they were discussing 30 years ago are still very much here in our nightmare dystopian present. It
0: can feel very defeating to go like... Have we actually made any progress right. at all, or have we just been practicing and deepening the conversation right. on our separate sides, where we can talk about it way more articulately, and our two sides have learned so much more about themselves? Right. But at the same time, we keep butting our heads against butting our heads up against the same conflicts.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and so the trick is to remain activated mm-hmm. while also acknowledging the slow, slow progress. And I don't even like using that word progress because it's like, it just doesn't feel it, feel mm-hmm. like it sometimes. Yeah, right? Yeah, And I think that is what Evan is talking about in this issue. We talk a little bit about it in this conversation. Um, he manages to remain hopeful while also still pissed off and yeah. wanting to change things. Yeah. And what I also like is that Evan pays so much respect to Dwayne McDuffie, who is no longer with us. There's
0: a real ongoing mentorship there. Yeah. so beautiful.
1: And and every time you have an opportunity to write within the Milestone universe, Dwayne has to be on your mind or on your shoulder, yeah. right? and uh it, it it was a real like honor to talk to Evan about Dwayne and about the Milestone Universe because again i just don't think there's anything in comics like it uh and and, and certainly nothing like what we got 30 years ago and so should it, yeah. we
0: should we try to give some kind of overview like a little bit of the plot line so we can get into the conversation because i have so much more to say about Our conversation, but maybe we should like save that goodness for the back end. Okay,
1: so Universal Beings, uh, what happens is that the two rifts from both universes, Earth-93, the current Milestone DC Comics universe, and Earth-1993, the original Milestone universe, creates a rift and and the two realms smash into each other. Yeah. And in that smashing, suddenly, you know, new static meets old static, new icon meets old icon, and rocket, rocket, and so forth. And as you were alluding to uh, earlier, what is it like for, because like the Earth 93, the original, no, no. Earth 1993. Uh, it's hard. Hold on. Which one's which? I got to pull the magazine.
0: 1993 up. is the one from 1993.
1: No, no, no. 93. That's what's confusing. Oh, no. Earth 93 is the one. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. Yeah. Shoot. You're right. Okay. okay. No, no. I'm so confused. Uh, Earth 1993 is the original timeline. Earth 93 is the current timeline. That
0: makes sense to me. Okay.
1: What was I saying before? I got all confused on that. Uh, but what? what. Oh, yeah. What you were saying earlier about how. When a character from the past, Earth 1993, is set in 1993, where Earth 93 is set now. Presently. Presently. When a present version sees a past version, and when a past version sees a present version, and they're basically living the same frustrations, what does that do for you? Like, right. what does that, how does that charge your headspace? And throughout Universal Beings, you're having that internal conflict from every perspective in the Milestone universe.
0: Yeah, so that's the setup. That's really all you need to know. We've we've done parallel universes before. This is a continuation of that kind of conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, w- with the added benefit of it also being a celebration of Milestone comics, yeah. right? So uh, on that note, let's jump into our chat with Evan Narcisi. <laughs> Evan, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. How are you? I'm good, thanks for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure. We're super excited to talk about this anniversary issue, bringing the old milestone universe together with the new milestone universe. Such a fascinating and compelling idea. I would also imagine that the responsibility of bringing those two universes together would be pretty challenging and maybe even a little stressful. Yes, very much so. Um, you know,
2: uh, One of the things I've said for for years, decades even, um, is that Milestone made me, you know? Like, um, Milestone Media, the emergence of it in 93, like, hit me like a lightning bolt, right? Like, you know, I knew of the careers of, like, Dennis Cowan and Dwayne McDuffie, and um, I knew a little bit about Michael Davis because he'd um, painted and colored some um, pre-Milestone work. And um, I, I did read Black Enterprise regularly. I, actually, I shouldn't say that. I was aware of it because um, I was a journalism student. so um, and being a black media outlet that that was definitely something that caught my attention. So I knew like the founders work like individually before milestone, but seeing them come together to make this thing make this universe a reality was really stunning to me. I'll, I'll never forget,, um, I took cultural journalism class. Um, at NYU taught by Ellen Willis, who was a pioneering um, rock critic from like uh, the first wave of writers who wrote for Rolling Stone, um, among other things. And, um, you know, we had to do a presentation on like some new cultural work that we liked. And I did mine on Milestone and she was fascinated by it. And, uh, And she was a white woman who was then, I think, in about her 50s or 60s. I'm not exactly sure. So it wasn't like anything proximate to her own, like lived experiences. This was something new to her. And like, she felt like the energy coming off the page. Like if she felt that th- I felt it like times a thousand. Right. So yeah. When you say the word responsibility, it definitely comes back to that. Right. Like those guys felt a responsibility. I feel a res- responsibility to honor the work they put out there and also move it forward in whatever little way I can. Right. So it was, um, really daunting, but, you know, I poured a lot of myself into it, I, I, I you know, at the risk of sounding self-aggrandizing, I think is one of the best things I've written so far in my relatively short comics writing career. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for people to, to engage with it.
1: I mean, for us, it was very exciting just to read. Like, the idea itself was exciting, uh, and then to see it executed the way that you did just And the way that it pays off and it does, like, it's an homage, but it's also pushing the narrative of where Milestone is now forward, which is exciting. Uh, but again, like, just getting back to, like, you joining the project, what was the mission statement of this particular idea going into it?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I mean, I, we, we have to go back a little bit in time. When the Milestone reboot was happening and um, DC Editorial was was talking to talent about it, they asked actually asked me to pitch one of the books. And uh, it came down to me and another creative team on the title, which I will not name, but um, I'm enjoying their work on the, on the title. So no harm, sure. no foul there. You know, ironically, one of the reasons they asked me is because of some of my video game work. But, you know, that made it clear to me, like, yeah, they really wanted to update the characters to feel like, uh, relevant um, to the reality of, like, 2020, 2021. Then I got I went on to work on a documentary, uh, the Muscle's Generations documentary. I was a story producer on that. so Which is great. Um, yeah, we, we
1: watched it. it. it yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah it, again, another work that's uh, so close to my heart, getting to talk to Dennis and Reggie and Michael Davis and Charlotte McDuffie, like, all that stuff was really meaningful. And, you know, I'm not too proud to say, it. I every day we were on set, I, like, cried. Like, uh, you know, just getting to talk, um, you know, mostly about Dwayne, who who I encountered a little bit as a journalist and a fan. But um, anyway, so between like them asking me to pitch a book in the early stages of the the reboot and then be working on the documentary, Chris Conroy and and Marquis Draper um, reached out to me um, to do this special, the anniversary special. So, you know, the idea was, you know, Original milestone meets um, new milestone. And, you know, like that's a tried and true kind of like trope, right? Within superhero comics. Uh, the, The challenge for me was like, how do I make it feel like I'm giving enough weight to each iteration of those characters? And, you know, also like, marking time, you know, like not to not to be like, oh, look how much time has passed. But like, I think one of the things that's really important about Black cultural production, especially in North America, but in lots of other places, is like keeping hold of your history. Right. You know, like the Black diaspora experience, like is one that is fraught with like this, this broken history that we then have to try to repair and hold on to. Right. Like a lot of uh, folkways from West Africa, you see kept alive as voodoo, Santeria, that kind of thing. Um, And I'm Haitian, so I know a little bit about that. So like, I think one of the big things that was in my mind was, you know, uh, we have to memorialize ourselves, right? We have to keep hold of that history, because we cannot count on the society that surrounds us to always do that accurately, to do it in good faith. So, you know, it's like that line that Jeff Thorne gave the blood syndicate in the reboot, like, uh, you know, we, uh, I, I, I have to paraphrase here, but like, um, we do it for us, um, or don't get done, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 that's the thing. Um, and Milestone, that's the ethos of Milestone, right? And I think one of the hugest triumphs of the original iteration of Milestone and the new one is that it wasn't just about, like, black lived experiences. It was like, if you're a marginalized person, you can find a character that reflects you in this superhero universe. And obviously, the reboot is just getting started. But like, the original was so important. So like, I want to touch on that, you know? Like, you know, there are characters I really want to use but couldn't find a way to fit into the story. But like, you you get glimpses of them in their like Zombie, um, uh, Death Wish and uh, Donner and Blitzen, you know? And I remember reading those comics back in the day and being like, wow, you know? Like they were so ahead of the curve um, in terms of representation from all different walks of life. It's crazy. I I still can. The original milestone comics are ahead of the curve in a lot of ways, you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. Mm.
0: In the little introductory blurb about what this, this comic is about, it puts the idea of them being very different places first and ends the, the paragraph with saying, what's going to shock you is what they have in common. Rather than saying, "Look, these are the same people," and what's going to shock you is the ways that they are different. And it, it makes me curious. Like looking back at history, like the past has so much to offer the present. But now this is an opportunity for the present to offer something to the past. And and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what that exchange is going to be like.
2: Yeah, you know. It's interesting because um, in some core foundational ways, a lot of the characters in the milestone universe haven't changed all that much, right? Like right, yeah. Rocket is, is still a girl from the hood who has dreams that she can't figure out a way to achieve until she meets Augustus Freeman the fourth. You know, um, Static is still that snarky, nerdy kid um, who finds himself suddenly like with more power than you could ever imagine. You know, Hardware is still a person who gets blamed for, rather who gets his his... His work um, taken away from him the credit and the um that he deserves. So like, you know, and, and on and on, right? So one of the things that was, you know, important for me to home in on is like why these archetypes matter, right? Like, you know, like if you talk to the original milestone Ma- founders, like they all base the characters and archetypes, right? Like Spider-Man's rather static's, you know, debt to like the Spider-Man concept is is clear, right? And obvious. Sure. And they they talk about that. But like why it's important to kind of evolve them through these characters was one of the things I want to hold on to, right? So like, you know, when when OG static and static 2.0 are talking, it's like, how did you get your powers? <laughs> and and oh, those are my it's just like one or two panels, but it's like gang brawl, a police yeah. protest. And it, it and uh they're like damn, you know, excuse my language, but shit is still fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah um in both of our realities, right? And it's like, that's why the need for this kind of a person, a young, optimistic, really caring superhero who, like, is of the people, right? Like, doesn't stand apart from them. That's why that's so important, right? Because whether it's a gang brawl, whether it's a police protest, you need somebody who can embody the superhero ideal the way that Static does, right? That That's what's important. Like, with compassion and empathy and striving to be a better person, right? Like, really not... Really just beginning to find out like the contours of his own powers and possibilities, right? So that's that's why it was important to me. You know, like hardware is still a cynical dude who is inclined to mistrust most anybody he meets, right? Has a chip on his shoulder, thinks he's he's always the smartest person in the room, even he is. But like for him, the journey is towards a more altruistic kind of superheroism, right? Like something, you know, I, I think the tagline. When they introduced the, the hardware 2.0 armor was like first it was about vengeance now it's about justice i'm going off memory here so you know keeping hold of what's at the core of these characters as archetypes um was really important to me right so yeah things are obviously different um i think you can just look at like stuff like the costume designs and see what's different but um remembering what makes these characters work then and now, I think is a cool, you know, hopefully takeaway readers will will um, walk away from the project with.
0: One of the things I find most interesting is that the, the new characters have the advantage of perspective. One moment that stood out to me was someone going like, oh, we had a Black president. It didn't go exactly the way that you might have anticipated. Yeah,
1: what came after just keeps yeah. you wait. So
0: just that that advantage of going like, well, we've tried some things since 1993, and, and this is the amount of progress that has been made.
2: Yeah, um, you know, there's, I think, not a lot of that. There's like one or two mm-hmm. beats in the story like that. Um, that beat, obviously, and then where the Rockets, you know, kind of compare the divergence in their personal story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, But you know, I think those moments taken together like highlight how the struggle for like justice and perception has and hasn't changed, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like teenage pregnancy was seen as like this um, social ill like in the 80s and 90s, right? And that's why that storyline for Rocket in the original version of Milestone comics where she gets pregnant and becomes a single mom um, but not one that's demonized, right? Not one that's turned into like a political, like a uh, football, you know, the 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 welfare mother discourse of like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. The fact that they, they made Raquel a character who rallied to keep this baby and try to be the best mother she could was really important back in the day because those people were demonized, um, like I said, in stereotype. So the fact that We've moved on from that, right? A little bit as a as a society, like that demonization, even though you still see it in pockets in discourse, right? Political discourse, but it's not treated as like the same kind of sin as, as it was before, right? But there are still other things that um, the the new version of Raquel has to deal with, right? And the, the same thing with um the plaque president beat. It's like, oh, okay, this is a thing we thought we should strive for. And once achieved, it, you just realize the re- resistance to like black liberation struggles just evolves, right? So like the, the, the fact that we had a black president, you know, just further inflamed anti-black sentiments in certain like socio-political corners, right? So like, yes, we, we still have to stay vigilant. We still have to, you know, speak truth to power and keep our le- elected officials, to, uh, you know, to account you know, to call them on the carpet. So it's like, yeah, the things that you thought might um, bring around like a a holistic change didn't and the things that you thought would be like the downfall of society weren't. So let's have these heroes evolve to represent different things um, while also, again, keeping that like core conceptual nugget at the core of their characters um, intact and updated. And, you know, like, I'm one guy writing one special, right? right you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know <laughs> it's really the creative teams on the reboot of the comics for doing sure. the heavy lifting. But, like, it was good to, like, to be able to, like, play in that sandbox of the Dakota universe and just do a little compare and contrast, right? Like a high school essay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, y- you know, when the comics initially came out, I was a young teenager. And at the time... I had never read anything at all like what Milestone was doing. And obviously it's um, uh, politically charged and my friends at the time were just not interested in having those conversations. And there's still sections of the comics reading community that don't wanna talk about politics even though Lisa and I are firm believers that all art is politics. There's no such thing as art without politics. Um, But now with the rebooted milestone, I do feel like there is a hunger for political conversation in our art. And I feel like the audience is, or there is an audience there that's more ready for these kinds of conversations today than there were then. Or is that still just like a fantasy that I'm I'm hoping for?
0: No,
2: I definitely think like, sophistication amongst, like, the audiences has um, changed, right? You know, people are more aware of the processes that go into making these stories, um, the talent behind them, and the fact that oftentimes that talent feels like they need to speak to the world that uh, surrounds them, right? So, you know, and that, that's not to say that wasn't true of the the founders, the original milestone, um, Creative Core, you know. One of the things that didn't make it into the um, documentary was Dennis Cowan telling us that, you know, yeah, the Big Bang was um, inspired by the move bombing in Philadelphia. in yeah. I want to say the, the 70s. Um, and, and if you don't know about it, that's they were a black liberation struggle group that kind of had a commune uh, being they were being harassed by the police. And then who ulti- they ultimately dropped a bomb on their um, um, uh, living complex. Right. And killing people. Um, and insult insult to injury, like some of those remains were were held in police custody for decades. So they were dehumanized not once, but twice. I mean, multiple times, um, really. So, like, they knew what they were doing when they were doing it, right? I think now they, they had to be a little bit more careful because the asymmetric kind of relationship <laughs> that they had with um the the outside world, right? But I think now, you know, I can certainly say, that the world is more ready, I think, to have characters speak directly to like social cultural injustices, sociopolitical political injustices, um, um, then, because I think one of the things that has changed over the three decades since Milestone launched is this idea that. Comics are like disposable juvenilia, right? They're just yeah. for kids, you know, they're just for like maladjusted like nerds who listen in their mother's basement, mother's basement. Like I hate seeing that stereotypes on the when, you know, my my day-to-day reality shows me that like, nah, like people who read superhero comics are, you know, some of the smartest most inquisitive, curious, and, and, and progressive people. You know, not not everybody, right? I don't want to pre- paint the whole <laughs> readership with a broad brush, but like- But it's a medium, you know,
1: right? And I think we recognize yeah, it more as a medium now than we did.
2: Exactly. More than a fad, more than an embarrassment. Like it's a medium that has a whole spectrum of of creative expression uh, um, as part of its ecosystems, you know, and, and not just superheroes, you know? Like, I think that's something that is commonly understood now. Um, yeah,
1: Evan, like we are just loving the resurgence of Milestone and the the ability that Milestone and its many creators have to speak to the now. I think it just it still makes this corner of comics a really unique place. And I'm excited that we're getting more stories for more creators with these characters. I love that the compendiums have come out and brought those classic comics to a modern audience. We're reading through the two compendiums right now. And as you said, uh, it's insane like what those stories were doing. They still feel very radical.
2: Yeah, they really do. I mean... Like, you look at, like, the queer characters in the original version yeah. of the Milestone universe, like, and you look at the tensions between, like, Fade and Masquerade and Blood Syndicate, right? And, you know, I think Ivan Velez, like, really added some dimensionality to those characters where it's still stunning today. You know, they're they're both queer. They, they, they express their gender identity in different ways. And, you know, they, they, they deal with, like, uh, self-loathing. And questioning whether they'll be accepted, and I feel like you know it still feels as relevant today in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, that uh, and and that's just one piece of like the whole mosaic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so you talk about speaking to the now. Chris Cross is like a, an original, mm-hmm. like a uh, 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 milestone creator, and he does the character designs for the New Blood Syndicate, and they're like incredible, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this guy mm-hmm. hasn't lost a step. You know, and when you talk to Chris, it's like, yeah, it's just about keeping your eye on the world around you, right? Like, and not resting on your laurels and you know, at the risk of like getting emotional or whatever. I often think about what Dwayne would be doing now if you're still with us, you know. Mm-hmm. He he was a literal freaking genius, you know, um, and just has such a clear like perception of the world that um surrounded him and the other creators and we're lucky we got him when we did. And, um, you know, the fact that the other founders are still around, I just want them to get their flowers. You know, I still feel like Dennis Cowan is somebody that like, for as like big as he seems in comics, a lot of people don't know who he is and what he's capable of and what he can do, you know, and, and the same with so many other people. And, you know, then you think about the, the milestone as a, Talent incubator, you know, Jean-Paul Lyon comes out of milestone. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Cross comes out of milestone. Uh some of J. H. Williams' work is was, was the first work was with milestone. Umberto Ramos, you know, they put people on. They didn't just like, you know, secure their own kind of um upgrade and then leave people like um behind. They they made sure to pull people up with them. And, you know, the fact that the, the milestone initiative now exists as this like formalized entity within DC, like is the best part of that legacy continuing. So, you know, um, again, I'm just lucky to get to to participate in this legacy. Um, um, And I hope it continues for like another 30 years, 300 years.
1: Yes, please. Amen. Uh, Evan, I think you do uh, a great honor and service to Milestone with this story. I hope you get to play around with these characters in the future as well. Yeah. um, there's some stuff coming that I can't talk about yet. Okay. I don't okay. okay. Cool. Uh. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, well, Evan, thank you so much for hanging out and chatting with us today. It was a, a real pleasure and uh, we hope to do it again when you maybe can talk a little bit more about what's coming.
2: Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it.
1: And there you have it. Once again, thank you to Evan Narcisi for joining us on Comic Book Couples Counseling. Lisa, I love that moment in the chat where I stumble and I struggle to find the question, asking him like, are audiences hungry for what Milestone is feeding them right now? And yeah. my hope is that they are. And I liked his response to it.
0: His response was of course, yes, the, the reader is ready. They're ready as a comic book reader now. We have this greater understanding of how comic books get made but also we're in a place where just, in general, we're we're getting more sophisticated about the cultural conversation.
1: And I appreciated how he said that that's not that different than back in 1993. Mm. Like, the audiences were there, too. And I have this feeling like the narrative around, like, oh, people don't want politics in their entertainment is actually a fiction, and yeah. it's never been true.
0: Of, because the people who are saying that are the people who are being pandered to. So what feels like not politics is the status quo for them. Like, oh, we don't want something that is not the status quo.
1: Yeah, and it reminds me of a quote that the filmmaker Guillermo del Toro once said that all art is politics Mm -hmm. and even the choice to avoid politics in your art is a political action. Yeah. And I think that's something we should all be considerate of uh, when we are engaging with our art form.
0: Another thing to think about, though, like, if you're an artist, if you're a creator, if you're a dumb podcaster like ourselves, like, should you withhold art from the world because you think the world is not ready? Like, this idea of, like... Should you not make milestone comics because you feel like the world is not ready for milestone comics? Absolutely
1: not. It's like that dumb
0: old saying, like, you know, like dress for the job that you want. (laughs) Like, make comics for the readers that you want. Start a conversation for the conversationalists that you want. I mean,
1: yeah, it's, you know, you create art that you wanna see, right? right? Like, make movies that you wanna watch, make comics that you wanna watch. Uh, make them for the world you want to live in. Yeah, and yeah, this idea... A- absolutely.
0: This idea, because you feel lonely in your creativity and you feel, or you feel lonely in your activism...
1: And you don't think that there's an audience there, so you don't write to that audience that's missing, but guess what? That audience is there. They exactly. will
0: find you. So, like, I wonder if...
1: And you might even create some.
0: Yeah, if that activism, if that art is like a magnet... You well, know what yeah, I mean?
1: Yeah. Okay. So remember several years ago we saw the film Sorry to bother you yes. at Angelica with Boots Riley in attendance. That's
0: right. I was gonna tell the story, but you tell the story. This is, you do it. Our, you do it. this is one of our Gullickson yeah, this, this is one of our Gullican mantras. This was
1: like a Nirvana moment. This was like a oh
0: This is an idea we return to all of the time. But like what art exists to do according to Boots Riley and now according to the Gullickson's, is to find like-minded people. Like, everybody To thi- be
1: a rallying cry is how he put it.
0: Exactly, so this idea of like, you can try to make art to change people's minds, and people do that all of the time, and I do believe that people's hearts and minds are changed.
1: So when I interviewed Taika Waititi, humble brag, Yeah. when I interviewed him for Jojo Rabbit, I asked him the Boots Riley question: Is art there as a rallying cry, or is art there to change minds? And he was on the side of like, no, art can change minds.
0: Art can change minds, but it can I do both. It can. I think more often than not, though, I think it is a rallying cry, and like that's what I I personally look for in comics is that I look for that resonance, mm. I look for that relatability, I look for someone who thinks the way that I do, which is very self-centered, and I am a very self-centered individual. I am also a very introspective person um, and, and a very introverted person, so I'm thinking about myself all of the time. <laughs> um, and so, of course, I think everybody reads like me. But like I do think that Milestone did create a conversation, but then did also rally people together. And I think that that's what art is there. The best art is there to do. And the most generous art is there to do. I like the idea of interacting with the world as if it's the world that you want it to be. And I know that we can't do it all of the time, but at least some of the time, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, if you're curious, if you're engaged, check out what DC is doing right now with Milestone. Pick up that first compendium of comics that they've, Publish.
0: Even if you've never read a milestone comic in your life.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, check out what Evan is doing over there. He also just did a comic with Spencer Ackerman on uh, Wildstorm versus Waller. Which uh, came out this week. Who doesn't want to read epic. that? Yeah, so <laughs> check that book out to follow Evan on all his social medias as well. That is going to do it for us this week. Of course, our next episode, we are going to return to Invincible. We're halfway. No, we just started. We've done two episodes mm-hmm. on Invincible. So we chatted with Robert Kirkman. And he helped program our four Invincible Mark and Eve episodes. We did the first one. We started at Invincible Modern Family because that's where Robert wanted us to start. And our next one is going to be Invincible Reboot. Lisa has finally read Reboot. Lisa, did it melt your brain?
0: It did. It did. (laughs) It was saga-esque in the whiplash.
1: Yes, 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 yes. So uh, be on the lookout for that next episode. We are gonna focus on Reboot. And then from there- Hold on,
0: let me me mention our um, love expert for Invincible, for Mark and Eve, is Mark Brackett. And the book is Permission to Feel Um, We started the conversation by giving Mark and Eve that permission to feel, that awareness that your feelings are there to help you. The next section of the book we're going to talk about, we're getting into the acronym RULER and how to regulate, to recognize and regulate our emotions.
1: Uh, I'm excited for it. Uh, And then, of course, we're going to round out. Our Invincible Conversations with two episodes covering the full house arc and then the final two trade paperbacks in one episode, The End of All Things. Yes. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited about all that. And my friends, we are going to have some pretty, 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 pretty pretty, pretty big conversations with some comic book creators that we're not ready to reveal yet because things can fall through, and we've already had to reschedule some of these <laughs> conversations, but if it happens, friends, oh my goodness.
0: There are two universes, one universe where this conversation happens, and one universe where uh, both co- the conversation doesn't happen, both worth living in. The
1: conversation's supposed to happen Monday, though, so I need all of you listening to cross your fingers. You're gonna wanna hear this chat. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned, follow us on all our socials, and we will announce when that has actually happened.
0: Okay, Brad. Yes, um, I... Uh- I don't have a clever transition plans. <laughs> okay. Um My computer has gone to sleep, okay. so um, let's get into our outro. Outro. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh huh. This. Is, yeah. Lucy Goosey. Lucy Goosey.
0: Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh,
1: you can find me on all social medias at Mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X Men fan. Lisa, have you has your computer? Yeah, I woke it, it back up. You woke it back up? Okay, so then <laughs> where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
0: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram, Twitter, and Hive. Uh, if you'd like to spend some more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes.
1: Yes, uh, we're in the Kindly Ones Sandman arc, doing our episode-by-episode, issue-by-issue read-through.
0: And didn't we just drop a creator cranny?
1: We did a conversation with Joanne Starer and Kari Randolph about their Glass Eye Studios uh, they're a creative couple, and they are doing really cool things over there. So be be a patron and uh, listen to that chat. And uh, we're going to do a review of John Wick Chapter 4, because we can.
0: Why not? Yes. If
1: you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. <sighs> We're on Hive Social, but I haven't used it in a long time, and I think it's kind of dead for me. At CBC Podcast. <laughs> you
0: can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We oh. haven't
1: gotten one in 2023.
0: Oh, man. That would feel so great. Yeah. I th- is it because we stopped reading them on the main feed? Maybe. Okay, let us know.
1: Yeah. Uh, write us a review, and we'll read it on the main yeah, feed. Yeah,
0: write us a review and say, please read this on the main feed, and we will. <laughs> <laughs> we are fluent and receptive in... All five love languages. Yes, we are. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod.
1: It does. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full.
0: And your psychic rapport. Please don't forget to edit my pauses out.
1: I, I will try.
0: Open. Yeah,
1: you guys are in the East Coast, right? Yes. We're, yeah, okay. We're just outside of Washington, D.C. in Reston, Virginia. Nice. Okay. All right, here we go. They got they got CIA shit out there, don't they? Yes, you, they do. Yeah, we're right next door to Langley. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. We also had the monkeys.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. okay. Uh,
0: oh. the, the, the Ebola monkeys. Ebola
1: monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was about to say <laughs> not, not 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 Mickey Dolans. Okay.
0: <laughs> I wish Mickey Dolans. <laughs>